Welcome to Season 4 of the Social Pros Podcast, where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by Integrated PR Software from Cision, by the easy-to-use farm builder, FarmStack, and by social audience analysis software, Affinio. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, calling in live from Bloomington, Indiana, and joined for the first time officially, ladies and gentlemen, cue the drum roll, cue the fanfare, cue the streamers, the confetti cannon ladies, gentlemen, Social Pros supporters, I introduce to you... Officially, the new co-host of this esteemed program, Mr. Adam Brown from Salesforce. How are you, my friend? I am great. I am humbled and honored to be here. And it's interesting, after last week where I was the guest, for the tables to now be turned and for me to use my sleuthing and reporting duties to uh, to ask our great guests some questions this week. But Jay, I'm, I'm just so excited to be here. Well, if the pattern holds, next week the co-host will be uh, Jim Fields from SAP. We're gonna we're just gonna keep uh, we're just gonna keep Wally Pippin this thing uh, as long as as we possibly can. We actually don't have just Jim, uh, but we also have uh, Nick Robinson from SAP on the show today as well. It's a double. See, for your first show, Adam, we've got two guests. Right? We're trying to you know look. Jeff Jeff was a good co-host, but he could really only handle one guest at a time. Now that we have you on the show, we're, we're going to try and double the intensity here. I, I think some people would call this the immersion technique. Absolutely. We're going to give you the hardest one. It's like uh, the Navy SEAL training, right? Where they just sort of, you know, throw you into uh, a body of water with weights tied around your ankles and, and uh, hope for the best. That's how we do it here. Yes. All, all I hope is that Jim and Nick will be gentle. And I, I don't think you've accounted for my multiple personality. <laughs> 14 guests on the show today. Uh, and, and Nick is actually great at, uh, at voices, right? He's uh, a, a trained ventriloquist. That's actually not true, but it would make for an amazing story. Uh, I'm going to get right to it. Uh, Jim Fields is the VP of Customer Experience Marketing at a little company called SAP. And Nick Robinson, who is the digital strategist for SAP, join us on the program today. Gentlemen, how are you? Great, guys. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be on uh, the uh, initial uh, broadcast with Adam as co-host. So this will go down in yeah, Jay, podcast history. Second time. That's right. This is Nick's second time. I know. Yeah, this is my second time today. I know. He's a, repeat, he's a repeat guest, which has only happened, I think, two other times in the history of the show have we had somebody back on the show. Uh, so that is, uh, that, that's a feather, my friend. That, that's uh, suitable for framing, as they say. Um, well, I basically drag him along because he makes me look smarter. Than <laughs> Good. We'll see how that works. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll judge that at the end. Uh, there's some folks who, who don't listen every week, and so they may not have heard uh, when we talked to Nick uh, a while back. So maybe, Jim, we should start out, just give you a couple minutes and, and explain to the kids at home what, what SAP does. I mean, it's obviously a big company, and people are familiar with the acronym and the name, uh, but maybe just frame up for folks the businesses that, that you're actually in. Yeah, great. Um, so SAP is a global um, information technology uh, uh, provider. Work with companies of all sizes uh, around the world, uh, both from uh, you know providing, and we grew up and were known initially as um, you know one of the uh, 
original ERP vendors. Um, and today we offer a whole suite of products from um, analytics through uh, social, mobile, digital, uh, cloud, and um, uh, have 75,000 employees strong around the world and uh, an extended ecosystem of a couple of million partners. Um, so we touch a lot of uh, the transactions and business that flows through the global economy, the networked economy, if you will. Uh, probably 80% of that touches at some point an SAP system. So um, that gives us an interesting perspective in working with all these leading companies around the world as to kind of what's happening and you know gives us an er kind of an early detection system too as we see new trends coming in the market that we can then you know help our customers adapt to fantastic thanks for that, for that overview that's great it was, i think one of the trends that uh, that you're certainly on top of and something that i know that you've got a passion for personally jim is is social selling we've talked to nick and of course many other folks on the social pros po program about sort of social media marketing from the marketing perspective how do you represent a brand like sap in in social we'll touch on that again today but i wanted to talk to you about about social selling and turning your employees into advocates in social media kind of where that stands uh, We've talked about it uh, for a little while now, and it seems to be picking up some traction, especially in, in big technology companies. Uh, why don't you give us a, a state of the union in the social selling world? Uh, happy to. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a blog recently that kind of created a little bit of ripple uh, where I claim that, you know, and I'm not the first to say it, but, you, you know, I don't know that the term social selling is the most accurate uh, description of this discipline. Uh, that we're talking about uh, because it's really the ability to use um, social media and networks and connections uh, to influence people um, both at a personal level and a brand level and I think we're still relatively in the missionary phase of what that looks like and you see it done well in some cases and crudely in many cases um, but I do feel that um, you know when people talk about authenticity and they talk about, um, you know, connecting with people on a personal level, social selling is really going to become one of the key tactics of how we actually drive business connections and business conversations. Because each of us, at the end of the day, is both an individual consumer and a person, right, and also a business person. And those worlds, as you know, and you guys have spoken eloquently about are continually uh, merging and blending and blurring. Um, and so what we've been doing um, around social selling is really looking at how can we enable each of our um, employees to become an ambassador for the company and an ambassador for the brand in a way that is um, true to you know, their role in the organization and their ability to be a voice for us um, you know, with their very, within their various networks and with their, um, you know, social constituents, if you will. And um, the multiplier effect that you get when you do that kind of thing is really off the charts versus, you know, some of the more traditional kind of, um, you know, digital tactics. And I know Adam's written a lot about, you know, earned, owned, paid, shared, um, and, you know, this is probably a new category emerging. Um, and so what we've been doing is 
building out, and Nick has been one of the drivers within the organization of doing this, um, really a formal program to enable people to share points of view, share content, become thought leaders within their space, you know, in a way that helps give us a, um, you know, kind of an amplification network uh, for letting people know where we can help them. And I know that's a word you care about a lot, uh, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, as opposed to where we want to sell something to them, right? Um, and, and as I said, it's, it's really something where, um, you know, some companies are further along than others. I think overall, though, uh, we're still in the early phases, and it's a very exciting thing to look at, you know, what's possible moving, uh, moving forward. Well, I think there's no question that, that every company has stories to tell, and there's plenty of research that suggests that those stories are inherently more believable and more trustworthy when they're told by real people instead of by, quote unquote, the company. Uh, people don't have a natural affinity for companies. Uh, and they do have natural affinity for human beings. And so this really plays into that phenomenon. I want to ask you a, a, an important question. I think it's important, um, which is where does sort of employee advocacy or employee amplification uh, start and stop versus a true social selling circumstance where, where you're actually you know, really monitoring social and trying to use it to to push a, pr a prospective customer down the funnel through the sales cycle. Are those two sides of the same coin? Do you see them as different? Do they differ only because one is your sales team and one may be non-salespeople? Yeah, I think it's mostly what the latter, um, that within the sales realm, um, there are some very specific, um, you know, approaches that people can use to uh, you know, develop relationships with accounts and with contacts within those accounts they may not have had before, you know, using uh, social selling tactics. Um, it's becoming more and more the way people want to connect and the way they want to be communicated with. I mean, I remember just a few years ago we would kind of laugh at this and say, you know, it's just marketing people talking to marketing people. And you know, trying to um, you know see how how many you know influencers they had and so forth. Now it's really moved beyond that to you know salespeople who get it are really driving um, you know the social selling bus, and the uh, the, the stats are pretty uh, significant of you know ones who are using social selling well versus ones um, who aren't. Uh, so I think when we talk about social selling, yeah, that's much more of a, an emerging um, tool in the salesperson's bag. Just like in the old days, you know, if you were going to visit an account, you'd, you, you know, you'd pull out their annual report and do that kind of research. I mean, that's now morphed into social listening and, um, you know, using tools like LinkedIn to, um, to get a better understanding of, you know, who you're meeting with, who you're speaking with. Uh, and then continue that connection over time. And I think that's an important piece too, right? It's really about the conversation over time as opposed to yep. individual, uh, what I call transactional moments. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned LinkedIn. I wanted to ask you about that. Do you find that most of the employee amplification and employee participation in social on behalf of the brand or or partially on behalf of the brand takes place in LinkedIn and Twitter? Do you think it's it's likely 
either today or ever uh, that SAP employees or employees of any major brand would also be talking about the brand in what we might consider to be more personal venues like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, Do you think this is a channel dependent circumstance? Yeah, I think it, you know, it really depends on the demographics, but I think at this point, uh, especially for SAP, we're very Twitter heavy. A lot of people um, were Twitter first in how we communicated. And I think LinkedIn is becoming a powerhouse in its own right in the professional world. So a lot more people are focusing on LinkedIn, but I still think we're, we haven't, uh, we're still a little heavy on Twitter. Now, when it comes to Instagram, and I'm, I'm actually pretty bullish on Snapchat and these other areas. I, I think that's more of a demographic thing. So my millennial coworkers definitely talk about the company on those platforms. Um, there are some Gen X and even baby boomers that are starting to get active in those areas, but I think the majority of um, employee advocacy on those platforms are millennials. But I do think LinkedIn has a certain persistence about it and a certain um, kind of predictable presence mm-hmm. that some of those other kind of, um, you know, more real-time platforms maybe don't. And so, and maybe because I'm more old school, I sometimes I call myself the 50-something millennial. Uh, you know, people like Nick kind of scoff at me when I say that. But I think it is kind of more <laughs> a, a, an attitude and, a, a you know, a state of mind than a, a chronological thing. Um, but I do think LinkedIn as a business network is really, um, you know, finding its place and, and people are finding it. You see when they roll out new features, like instantly people are jumping on them. Well, and I think we, we may, I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school, but we may be the largest LinkedIn user. We are. In the world. Yeah, we are, we are their biggest wow. customer. I mean, the other thing to think about, too, is that LinkedIn is... I believe the only social network that has three streams of revenue when it comes to subscription, advertising revenue, and I think they're starting to monetize some of their content through the lynda.com partnership as well. So they have an interesting revenue model versus other social networks, which is, I um, I think, interesting from a B2B standpoint. One quick question I had, Jim, for for you. I know certainly as marketing and communications folks, we're we're pretty excited about social, and especially as it as it relates to kind of lead generation. Are you finding the same level of enthusiasm from the sales professionals and their understanding of how to use social, uh, and more importantly, actually drive that into attributable sales and revenue? Yeah, that's a great question, and that whole measurement thing of where you you know you can drive revenue with these tactics is is one that people always ask. Um, <clears throat> it's it's very interesting. What I've seen, the first person I ever really recognized as doing social selling was about five or six years ago, and it was one of our what we call inside marketing reps. And they basically pound the phones and you follow up on leads and you know cold call and look for business. And she was one of our most successful. Um, uh, inside marketing reps, and she she said, "Well, I'm using LinkedIn," and she showed me what she was doing, and I'm like, "This is amazing. Why aren't more people doing that?" And so it's kind of interesting that I think it started from the bottom and is growing its way up, right? So hardcore 
like uh, 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 people like IMRs who are on the phone all the time really, I think, quickly saw the value of tools like LinkedIn, um, giving them the ability to get through in different ways that they couldn't before. And then, um, you know, we've seen some of the more forward-looking salespeople, um, particularly the younger ones, um, either as they came into the company or experienced ones who got exposed to it, started to adopt it. I think you have some of the, uh, some of the, like the, the, Enterprise reps that work with the largest organizations still value their personal relationships, but we even see them starting to leverage um, social media because that's how their customers are, you know, that's where their customers are moving to. In addition to the social selling certification program, we also have the social competency certification program. So basically it's all virtual. People will go through all of the, um, the concepts of social media in order to equip somebody to engage in social in a, a safe and compliant way. And the great thing about that program is that it's completely integrated into our internal HR software. So we can actually tell how many people are getting certified and at what level they're getting certified. And after they go through that initial training, they'll get access to a tool where you know, we actually fuel the platform with uh, pre-vetted content, and then people will be able to share that content on their personal LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook profiles, et cetera. So, that, so those are the two certification programs that we have running right now. Wow, so getting to a point where really all of your 75,000 employees can be evangelists or ambassadors of the SAP brand. Right, and, and we've actually seen early cases where we saw the average engagement on a piece of content was X, but then after we ran a piece of content through this, um, this advocacy platform, it, it generated 10X the amount of engagement. So there, there are some downstream benefits in addition to, of course, employee engagement. And I think, you know, Nick mentions content. Um, and as marketers, I think that's where there's an important shift happening in terms of the ability of teams to share appropriate and interesting and relevant content. Um, because if you, if, you, if, you, if you leave people to their own devices, some will do it really well, some will not, some will kind of drift off, right? And, and you know, we'll, we'll be just something that they got certified on and now that, you know, they're, they're, they've moved on to something else. I think where marketing teams and other teams can come to the table with um, interesting content targeted for specific audiences, whether it's industries, lines of business, um, you know, regional content, that's where, you know, that whole social ambassador network can really start to have that multiplier effect. Um, and I think there's, con there's great content throughout, you know, every organization. I think the challenge for a lot of uh, companies is how do you figure out how to source that content uh, that exists, how to identify gaps that need to be filled, how to translate, you know, brand-level messages into social-ready messages that don't feel like commercials. 
Um, and I think that's a huge opportunity and challenge for marketing teams going forward. And I think is one of the biggest areas of value that they can bring, um, you know, to organizations in the future. I think so. And I have, Jim, one follow-up on that uh, as, as we kind of close out this segment. I think that's a challenge that a lot of us as marketers and communicators have. We recognize we need to kind of create starter content for, uh, for sales professionals and other subject matter experts within the organization. If you had to break it down, what percentage of the folks in your organization are kind of doing a rip and read where they're taking the content that you're sharing with them and basically just cutting and pasting it? What percentage is, is kind of tweaking and customizing and personalizing that content? And then do you have subject matter experts who are really passionate about this, who are really creating new, fresh, innovative content completely on their own? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very interesting um, and frankly accurate way to put it. Um, Percentage-wise, um, you know, I think where we are in the maturity curve, if you want to look at it that way, you know, cut and paste is probably the largest uh, percentage. I do see more people starting to put their own point of view on top of, um, you know, content that they either curate from third parties or receive from, you know, an internal source. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have a growing community of content creators uh, happening within the company and across the ecosystem. And part of that is enabled um, by the fact that we've created platforms for them to easily get their voice out there. So, um, you know, we have like the SAP Community Network, which has got a few million uh, members. We have the SAP Voice channel on Forbes, which, y you know, you, you need to get kind of vetted um, to have your stuff appear there. But that gives us a pretty broad reach. We've got a number of, um, you know, business innovation blogs and others that cater to specific uh, categories of content. So we've made it easy for people to who want to create content, put it out there, right? Because that's always that. What I've found in the past is what has stopped people, right? Is you may see somebody within a company who is a thought leader, and maybe they're maybe they're expertise is only shared on an account-by-account account basis, right? Because maybe they're a consultant to individual companies. And, you know, in the past, we'd approach them and say, hey, why don't you write a blog? And they're like, oh, I, you know, too much work. Where would I put it? But now they've got, we've got these kind of pre, um, preset channels that makes it easy for people, as well as LinkedIn, right? Publishing on LinkedIn is, you certainly can get some legs if you've got a good network there. So I think removing the barriers to what to do with content is actually encouraging more people to create original and, and you know, content that's of personal interest to them. Let's take a second to uh, acknowledge a couple of sponsors of this week's Social Pros podcast. As always, the show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, a world leader in interactive marketing software powering the email, mobile, web, social 
programs of thousands and thousands of companies all across the globe. Uh, Salesforce surveyed over 5,000 marketers worldwide to understand their top priorities for this year across all digital channels. Uh, And this report gives you an unparalleled look at the modern marketer's mindset, including their most pressing business challenges, their top five areas for increased spending, biggest changes versus last year, etc. Super interesting read. Lots of great nuggets in there. Check it out. It is the State of Marketing Leadership Report from Salesforce Marketing Club. You can get that right now for free at convinceandconvert.com slash three. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number Three. Also, this week, the show is brought to you by Formstack. Formstack knows everything there is to know about forms and how to get people to fill them out. They have their own benchmark research report about form conversions, where they evaluated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of form completions to figure out the secrets that you need to get more people to fill out your forms, including a nifty social media hack that can boost form conversions by 189%. Get your free copy of this report. Get all the insights from our pals at Formstack. Just go to convinceandconvert.com slash eight. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number eight to download your free report from Formstack. Adam. Great. One of the things I really enjoyed uh, as I was the guest last week was, uh, was was Jay and Jeff asking me kind of how I got started in this business. And Jim, I definitely want to come back to you. Having done a little perusal of your uh, LinkedIn profile, I, I definitely want to ask you about your background and certainly the interview with Mr. October himself. But that's if that's a tease, Jay, I think that's what we call it in this, uh, in this nice. industry. Well done. But Nick, I want to start with you. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about kind of how you got to, uh, to SAP and how you got to this world of social that we all know and love. Yeah, so I, crazy to think about this, but I really started getting interested in the internet around 1997, so I'm still relatively young. I like to tell myself that, but I was like 13 at the time, and I started experimenting with websites. And so all through high school, I actually had my own website business. I built custom HTML websites for people. And, uh, Sort of that kind of left me in college, but I actually came back to it. I worked for a travel company, and I did a lot of paid search for them and email marketing, and social was starting to get big at the time. It was around 2007, 2008 when, you know, the economic downturn, uh, people lost a lot of their media budgets, so they're turning to this thing called social media. Well, like the company approached me and they said, well, do you know anything about this? And I said, well, when I was a web developer, I used to interact in forums to get code from people. So it must be sort of similar. So we, what we did was we actually created a community of travel travelers that were passionate around adventure travel. And what we found was that just creating that community of people, we were able to increase sales by 20% in a, a uh, economic downturn where people were cutting travel budgets uh, left and right. So that's when I realized this thing called social was going to be really big, um, not only for B2C, but for B2B. And uh, so after that, I actually started my own agency, and, and it was called Social Media Headquarters. So we focused a lot on community management for mid-market companies. And what we found was that, especially around the 2010 timeframe, is that to only do social 
um, would lead to subpar results. So what we found was that it, when you combine community management with other digital tactics, it's like, um, as Jay says, it's like uh, gasoline on the fire. Yeah. So we were we diversified our our digital offerings to more than just social media, and that's about the time period when I said, you know what, I've serviced bigger companies, but I've never really um, I've never really experienced what it's like to operate social and digital at scale because we are always trying to get to scale. Uh, working for a smaller company. So I said, you know what, I'm going to sell my shares and start working for a bigger company. I knew somebody that worked at SAP, and uh, the rest is history. So I started out in a social-only role, community management, and um, I just uh, I learned the ropes along the way and how to operate in a bigger company, and now I'm, I'm heading up the digital strategy in North America. Wow. And, and tell one of the great things about SAP is that you, you guys do a lot of marketing and advertising. Uh, just last night, I was watching CNN, and I see an ad for, for SAP. Ah. And that's not the case for, for a lot of B2B uh, brands. How does that, Nick, kind of impact your social activities? And do you find because of that, and because obviously the, the marketing media mix has to have a lot of dollars in for those traditional advertising units, right. is that impact your, your ability to get budget for social or the way that you go in and kind of demonstrate ROI and, and fight for marketing dollars or resources? Uh, so no, actually, what, what we're finding is that those traditional media tactics are also getting coupled with um, other digital tactics, social being one of them. I mean, it's all about uh, a percentage breakdown, and we have so many different uh, business groups in SAP, so everyone will get a different percentage of the budget. So it's not so much it's not so much the the budgeting issue, but it's it's more about how do you balance that spend, and then what do you actually do um, in addition to that spend? So, for example, you mentioned the TV commercial. Are what gets really interesting is when you start doing some social listening around that television commercial and figure out what people are talking about. Do they like the commercials? Do they have any, any interesting feedback that we can listen for? And then we can take that feedback and tweak some of our ad spend with social, for example. So I, I think we can do some really interesting things when it comes to um, mesh, uh, meshing traditional and non-traditional marketing tactics. Wow, that, that's an interesting insight. I hadn't thought about that, but you're exactly right. Your traditional media is going to create fodder for uh, for social chatter. Jim, I, I want to. That's, that's a perfect segue into some some of the questions I, I had for for you. I know uh, your background um, has been predominantly on the kind of the marketing side, but you've also led communications uh, and, and public relations for some B two B companies. Talk a little bit about um, kind of your your background and, and how you got here, but I would love to hear kind of your mindset and your thoughts on what's the perfect so homeroom for social. Is it public relations? Is it marketing? Is it a, is it a little bit of both? But your your rich you know pedigree there at SAP and, and, and before is is just such a such an exciting experience set. Thanks, Adam. And sometimes I feel very lucky that I feel like marketing has kind of come around to where I started. So uh, I was an English major in college and started out in publishing and actually worked on, you know, editing manuscripts and taking them through to production as books and 
uh, I was working for McGraw Hill in New York City when all of a sudden this technology showed up. They set up these workstations on each floor, and lo and behold, it was a Wang word processor. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember that, but it was really the first um, you, you know automation that came into that um, you know that office, and I was kind of intrigued with it and started playing around with it, and actually wound up. Um, typesetting one of our uh, answer keys for one of the college textbooks I was working on on the wor on the Wang word processor and <clears throat> actually um, had it you know had that manuscript produced and that became our answer key for that for that book and it was kind of an amazing introduction to technology because I was not a technology guy prior to that it really piqued my interest and that, that's what made me want to get out of the world of publishing, which is quite intellectually uh, stimulating, but uh, people are overeducated and underpaid for the most part, and it's a lot slower moving than the technology business. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's what sparked my interest in technology. And then I got into uh, working for a number of uh, startups, which uh, coincidentally and, and fortuitously was at the early stages of, um, you know, what became the ERP industry um, and client-server computing and open systems. I mean, all that was just happening then. So I was kind of present at the birth uh, and kind of grew up with the industry, uh, as I mentioned, through a series of startups. Um, and then about, ten, about nine or ten years ago came to SAP, focused originally on driving our uh, customer reference program in North America and customer reference content um, and then moved back into marketing which I had done over the years and you mentioned um, you know I've run comms teams I've run PR teams uh, I've run marketing programs and and for me the I think you called it homeroom where does it belong um, you know those of us inside the business and inside these disciplines make a lot more distinction between them than people who consume the output, right, mm -hmm. or, or get the benefit. For example, we are, so Nick and I are part of the North America Marketing Organization, which is essentially a field marketing organization. So we are a marketing organization that lives within what's essentially a sales region. And so when we work with our salespeople, they don't make a distinction between what's PR, What's, uh, what's Marcom, what's marketing program, they just see it all as the same thing. Right. Uh, and so I think it's important for us not to make uh, and not to continue to put those artificial distinctions between these functions because uh, increasingly uh, there is no distinction. Do you think that's easier, Jim, for, for B2B related companies as compared to B2C in terms of not not really being a little bit more distinction agnostic, if you will, between the, the different tactics that the marketing or communications camps may use? Yeah, I do think it is. Um, and I think part of it's probably cultural uh, and part of it's probably historical. You know, like within consumer brands, um, you know, brand management has a, and brand marketing has a very distinctive role within the organization and um, 
a distinctive place. Um, you know, within B2B, it's all about, you know, what's going to drive the business with the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time. And people, I think, tend to be less uh, caught up on where that's coming from, where the innovation's coming from, you know, where the results are coming from. Sure. I mean, as you said, the, the consumer or your your audience, they, they don't care who, who the message is coming from, uh, whether it's a whether it's a salesperson, a customer service person, a marketing or a comms person. It's, it's a message from SAP. Yeah. And that's and so you raise a good point in that when we talk about brand ambassadors and those kind of things, there's also risk inherent in that. Right. In that you've got people communicating on behalf of the organization um, who, you, you, you know, you're not necessarily controlling what they're saying. You may have some governance in place. Uh, you may have some best practices. Like Nick said before, you may put them through some training. Um, but you are still reliant on them to deliver the right kind of message in terms of being, you know, in alignment with, uh, with the brand and with the reputation of the organization. And also to deal with um, if people come back with, you know, negative or confused reactions, how to deal with that as well, right? Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, and I know you have a background at uh, Coca-Cola from prior lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember talking to some of the brand marketers at, at Coke a few years ago, and they talked about letting go of their brand and how hard it was for them to do that, but they realized that over time, the market owned their brand. They didn't really own their brand anymore. And, and you know, once they came to that conclusion and they were able to let go of the brand, then they came to be more in partnership with the people who interacted with their brand than a, you know, a vendor-consumer type relationship. And I, I think that was pretty forward-looking, and now you see more and more companies are taking that um, that point of view. Yeah, it's amazing because you think it wasn't that long ago that to say to say that you weren't in control of your own brand would have been laughable. But but now of course uh, you're not, and and companies are starting to to understand that, and and not only try to get their customers to to create brand assets and brand chatter, but as we've talked about here today, getting employees to do the same. We're going to close out the show as we do uh, every time with the two big questions that we ask every guest. Since Nick has gone through this crucible in the past, we'll direct these two to Jim uh, this time. Jim, are you ready? I am ready. Excellent. The first question, Jim Fields, VP Customer Experience, SAP, is if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? I could do a Skype call with any living person. Um, the answer might surprise you a little bit, but I would say Vice President Joseph Biden, and, and here's why. Um, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, which is a state that's adjacent to Delaware, and um, it seems like every person I meet from Delaware has a personal story to tell about Joe Biden, either standing on the train station with him or, or, you know, as he commuted to Washington, D.C., or, um, you know, seeing him and his wife at, a, a, you know, a sporting event or a, a school event. And um, there just seems to be something about that guy that he really, you know, beyond politics and beyond party affiliation, he really seems to be a genuine person who connects with people. And I think 
you know, our proximity to, uh, you know, his home state, which is really the more I deal with people from Delaware, the more it feels like it's not a home state, but a hometown. Um, I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. That is a fantastic answer. You are correct in that we have not had Vice President Joe Biden as an answer in the 175 or so shows we have in the social <laughs> uh, concept. So that is terrific. Uh, he is either one of the world's greatest politicians, or maybe Joe Biden has an employee advocacy program rolling, right? And he's got uh, he's got people tweeting stuff out, so it makes it feel like he's everywhere. He does have a lot of fans, though. Like people I meet, love the guy. That's great. Uh, last question for you, Jim and Nick as well. Thanks so much for being uh, back on the program. The big question uh, for you is is this: What one tip would you give somebody looking to be a social pro? Um, I'll get started and then pass it to Nick. And my tip would be to get started simply because I see so many people who watch what we're doing, watch what other people are doing, and they say, oh, gee, if only, you know, I'd like to be able to do that. And um, the getting started is the hardest part. And once, once you've taken that first step and you've seen some, you've gotten, it's kind of like a comedian, right? Once you get that first laugh, you're hooked. And so that would be my advice, just get started. Yeah, my, I think my best piece of advice would be for the people who haven't started yet, if you don't feel comfortable, at least start listening to conversations, whether it's on Twitter or you're viewing your LinkedIn feed. But listening first will be a great baseline for getting started in other areas of social, like actually sharing content and interacting in conversations. But it'll allow you to not sound like a foreigner. Uh, it, for example, in the United States, um, you know, you get you see a lot of people that just start talking, but they just did a little listening first. They would have had a better conversation. So you might say, "Lurk before you leap." Lurk before <laughs> you leap. I like it. That's nice. Lurk before you leap. Very well done, gents. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jim. Fantastic to have you, Nick. Terrific uh, having you back, Adam. Well done. Got through the first one. With uh, aplomb and Alon. We appreciate that very much. Looking forward to keeping this party rolling. Hey, thank you guys. Really yeah, appreciate it. And Adam, good luck with the with the new gig. Appreciate uh, talking to you guys today. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Nick. Until next time, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Adam Brown from Sales Adam Force. Brown. This is Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Affinio, Formstack, and Cision, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast Imaging by Audiobag.com.